haven't posted anything the past two weeks. We have taken the time to reflect and learn about some issues that were recently brought to our attention. A couple of people that we associated ourselves with in high school have affected a lot of people's mental health, which we were not aware of, but we do need to hold people accountable. We do not tolerate bullying or racism in any way, shape, or form. Please DM us with any concerns, thoughts, or questions about anything we are talking about. Thank you, Nick, for coming to share your thoughts and perspective on your own personal mental health. With that being said, let's jump into it. Hi guys, this is Maddie and Lauren, and we are so happy to be here, and we have Nick with us. Hi. So why don't we just kick it off, and why don't you tell us how quarantine's been? Okay. <laughs> so lately, I would say that I'm, I would say I'm pretty like neutral right now. Not bad, not good. Definitely something that's been challenging has been job hunting, which is mm -hmm. horrible right now, and it's hard for me. I, I like to overachieve, and I like adding something to my resume, whatever. I was taking all the right steps, and then this hit, and spun me all out of control. I'm, I'm so thankful. So uh, on the good side, I should say, I live in New York City, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to get out kind of before the pandemic really hit and took oh, yeah. hold. Um, you were here. Like the whole time. Okay. Right. So I, I went on a trip and then kind of during my spring break trip is when stuff really hit the fan. I ended up canceling my return ticket to back to school and putting it back home here to Richmond City. And I'm thankful for that because I do not know what I would do if I were cooped up like in my little apartment. You know, yeah. New York City yeah. apartment, I live in a closet, so oh, right. um, <laughs> I forgot about that. So I'm really thankful to have nature. I've been able to swim, I've been able like we've gone to the cabin. Which is so important in this time. Like so you important. have to yeah. take advantage yeah. of that. My tip is go outside. Have you guys ever just been sitting on your laptop? Say you're scrolling on LinkedIn and someone's like, like, I just got a job at Google. <laughs> yeah. Great, I'm unemployed and I'm in my parents' house, so that's fun. Go outside. Mm -hmm. Go out, look at the trees. Maybe there's some ladybugs, sun, clouds, whatever, rain. Go outside and it'll just put it all back into perspective for you. Girl, that pine tree doesn't care about you. No, right? There's nothing, no distractions. Right. It can be comforting. Which is actually a lesson I learned in New York. To some people, you don't matter. It totally takes the pressure mm -hmm. off, makes you feel like you just have some time and space to just float and not mm -hmm. be in the whole mix. Yeah. Totally. That so makes sense. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's such a good tip. When I'm in Inver Grove, I can walk and it's beautiful, birds tripping, whatever. Right, yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, when I'm walking in the city, this really bougie mom pushing her kid in her stroller, and then there's like some guy in his underwear dancing with like a rubber chicken. And then oh literally, I'm not, that's not, not make that up. A guy that works on Wall Street, and then there's like a hippie from Brooklyn. Like these people don't care about me, and I just want an escape from kind of everything. Mm -hmm. I do not want to matter to you. I think a walk puts that in perspective. I like that. I want to address the friction that we had at mm -hmm. like last week. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and I want to talk about your response to that because, you know, at first I was a little bit hesitant about it. Mm -hmm. Kind of looking back and like, especially right now, I'm actually really pleased by it. And I'll tell you why. I don't know if you guys are into drag queens at all. RuPaul's Drag Race RuPaul's is drag my race. show. Really? Yeah, my mom and I watch it. I'm just like, wait, what's how that? How the hell are you going to love yourself? Let me say, you can't, can't love, love nobody else. Or, wait, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? You can't love 
I'm we, so you sorry. know, I know what you're saying. Right. RuPaul, we're so sorry. <laughs> I wanted Jada to win, mm-hmm. and she's like so excellent. Please deserve that. Yeah, she did. Bob the Drag Queen. Okay, kind of going back to our question from last yeah, week. Yeah, sorry. Hot topic. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love that. Anytime I can talk about drag race. But Bob the Drag Queen has a podcast called Sibling Rivalry with Monet Exchange, mm-hmm. who's another drag race queen. In one of the episodes of their podcast, Bob talked about, I think you're talking about cancel culture. And Bob talked about apology versus atonement, which is a little bit of a weird thing to talk about. But mm-hmm. I think after our friction last week, I know we had a private conversation and you were like, really sorry for whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I'm sorry about. Here's what I stand by, whatever. Yeah. And I did the same. And I think that this is a, a really good situation to talk about that in because Bob says that apology is for me. So if mm-hmm. I run you, say I like spit in your eyeball or something. Yeah. If I say I'm sorry that I did that to you, mm-hmm. that's for me. That doesn't mm-hmm. do anything for you. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Atonement is when you take a step to actually kind of fix something. And it's not always you did something wrong. It's just like taking, right. going that extra mile. And that's where it becomes for the other person. Doing that's why I'm glad like you're having it. me here because when you said in our private conversation, like you did say that you were here not to be like on one side or the other, but literally just to hear everybody's perspective. As someone who does fall into a minority group being gay, people say that and don't mean it. You having me here, both of you, really shows that what you said was true, and so I'm really thankful for that, and I just wanted to let you guys know. I appreciate you being here. It took a lot after me being angry for you guys to invite me, so. No, but I mean, like, <laughs> it's okay. Like, everybody, I mean, I don't know anything that you've gone through. Yeah. I can't really Unless... sit there and say, like, you should feel this way or feel that way. So. Thank you, though, and I think that it shows a commitment to what you're doing with the mental health mm-hmm. discussion to really include everybody. And I think it shows maturity to deal with criticism that was not phrased nicely and wasn't intended to be phrased <laughs> nicely, if I'm being honest. No, it's um, okay. And have me on. Just thank you. I think it's nice. I support you holding people accountable. I'm not saying. Yeah, and I think that this does tie into what I was saying about mm-hmm. apology versus comment. You can say that, but the fact that you're taking time to do this, literally the actions you take, so like making a podcast and inviting different guests on it, that kind of action shows that you really are committed to educating yourself and educating mm-hmm. others. So, yeah. Appreciate you. Yes, totally. Yeah, you guys too. Amazing. I want to talk about an experience that really has been informative on my mental health, and I think that it's, I want to call it identity fatigue. Okay, my book recommendation is mm-hmm. The Velvet Rage, Overcoming the Pain of Growing Up Gay in a Straight Man's World by Alan Downs. Basically this book chronicles the life of growing up gay and it was really weird because I also don't identify with a lot of the gay community. Um, What do you mean? I mean that I'm not into the same stuff as a lot of them. Like I do like Drag Race, I do like Ariana Grande, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Britney Spears, Mariah, my sexual patterns are not the same. Like I'm not into the whole hookup culture, I'm not into the drug culture that comes a lot. Okay. A lot of times with the gay community, I'm not friends with a lot of other gay people. For a lot of my life, I didn't think that like I would necessarily have all the same struggles, and I don't because I'm white. And at least in high school, I was fairly straight passing, at least for like people that weren't paying attention. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All the other gays running around at Beacon High School knew. But <laughs> um, so basically, this book kind of chronicles the the life stages from childhood up until you either get to stage three or stage four. And stage one, you feel different. 
and you don't know what it is because when you're little, you don't have any sexual attraction yet, so you mm-hmm. don't have this little arrow pointing you in one direction. You're kind of just like, oh, I'm weird, but I don't really know why. So I was playing with Barbies, I was doing all this stuff. I wasn't really sure why. It was like kind of one of those make-believe things, but I didn't think I was a person. Like, like elementary school? Yeah, elementary school, even preschool, like okay. literally back to preschool yeah. before I even, you know, started learning how to read and everything. Yeah. Once I hit middle school, I started being bullied, and they would say, oh, you're gay. And I literally did not know what that meant. <laughs> I was pretty yeah. sheltered, like, throughout all the elementary school. Then you realize, oh, shit, this is why I'm different. Obviously, after everybody called me gay, I, like, looked up what that was, and I was like, no, I don't like boys, but, like, he's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you become accustomed to feeling like you have a flaw, and before you come out, you, re- you think that that flaw is being gay. Right? So fast forward a couple of years, my coming out process was really slow and gradual. I was already out to people before I even came to Egan High School as being bisexual, which is not how I identify anymore. Okay. And then like kind of slowly throughout high school, I would also told people about being bisexual. Finally, after high school, after graduation is when I told my parents officially. And then after that, I was like, I don't care who knows. Okay. Um, so I didn't have like a big, huge like revelation. I just like let people find out as they did. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad I did it that way. That's good that you did kind of what you felt you should do, which I think is important. Sometimes I would tell people that I didn't know that well before I would tell close friends because, okay, well, if you react poorly, it's not as big of a deal as if, like, my parents react poorly kind of thing. Up until the point of, like, fully coming out and being like, you feel like this massive flaw that you have to pay attention to. If you're fortunate, which some people really aren't, and I, that makes me heartbroken. If you're fortunate, you realize, okay, majority of the people or all of the people that I care about have no issue with this, whatever. Being gay is not my flaw anymore. But you're so used to having that within you for yeah. however long since you realized you were gay until you came out, that you're literally not used to having something that you're flawed on. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like you're still, you still have it, you feel like, in your heart. Right. So now you you have this intrinsic flaw, but you don't, you don't mm-hmm. know what it is anymore. So a lot of gay men try to compensate in other ways. I don't know if you've ever heard any of like the sayings about it, but like if people say, like, all the hot ones are gay, all the... Mm-hmm. People say, like, a lot of women say that. All the hot ones are gay? All the hot ones are gay, all the good ones are gay. Like, oh, 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 I see. You know yeah. This book posits that the reason why that is is because gay men are constantly trying to compensate for this feeling of being flawed. So if you look, um, a lot of the gay men that I've met, super high achieving, super fit, super good, like if they're in a sport, they're really good at it. If they speak a language, they're fluent. Yeah. (laughs) If they do art, they're super talented. This book says that it comes from this feeling of trying to compensate for this mm-hmm. flaw that you feel that you have, even if you know that the initial thing that you felt flawed about isn't it anymore. I had a couple gay men at circus that I could look up to and like envision myself kind of being like, but that that being said, I wasn't ready to take the plunge yet. Yeah. yeah. So it definitely involved some like questioning my sexuality throughout those years and like okay, maybe I'm bi, maybe maybe I'm into guys now, and then eventually I'll be able to have a wife. 
yeah. is what I was always clinging to. Eventually, I just realized that that's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, kind of like the one thing that I wanted to talk about. Oh, the the identity fatigue. Yeah. Which yeah. is not the term that the book uses, but um, you have to walk into every room and constantly monitor how I'm putting up air quotes right now. How like gay you can act. For fear of like somebody's gonna find out, that's the big one, and then the other big one is somebody in this room is not gonna be okay with it, and they're gonna harm me. Which I think definitely was a bigger problem even back in like 2010, 2011 when we were in middle school, but still now is a is a valid concern, especially in some you know parts, especially with the current climate being as divided as it is. I read the book. I want to say August of 2016, right before I came, right before I went to college. Okay. Okay. Because I was in therapy at that point, trying to overcome certain issues that I had with myself, which is a whole other thing, but that's called internalized homophobia, which is where you're not homophobic to anybody else. I was always really accepting and whatever to other people, but for some reason... For me, being gay was like the worst thing. I, I felt like I had so much going for me, and then, oh, you just had to ruin it by being gay. And that's totally what internalized homophobia is. Like, thanks for talking about it, because yeah, I'm here, yeah. that talked about that often. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just kind of babbling at this no, point. No, no, you're, you're, you're doing great. No, you're fine. Because no. I'm just Google it up. But yeah, so internalized homophobia can be in anything. It can be like, oh, I don't want to date that guy because he's too feminine. One thing I still struggle with is actually hearing my own voice on recordings. So listening to this podcast is going to be tough. My therapist recommended this book and it kind of just laid out all those issues for me. So going back to the fatigue thing, when I read that part of the book that was like, gay men often spend a lot of energy monitoring their own behavior when they walk into rooms. I literally sobbed. I don't cry. I never cry very rarely and this book was really hard to read because it was like reading a book of my own life yeah. and I was like oh like I don't even know myself that well how do you yeah. know this yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I was like, um, like you feel like it helped though totally it having the terminology to discuss the feelings that you have yeah is so empowering like yeah you were saying for your own mental health journey that you had all these feelings and whatever and you just hadn't gone through and done your research until it happened but having that terminology is really empowering so when the book was like you probably exhausted from constantly having to monitor your own self and like in some rooms I can be super gay and then in other rooms I have to act like I'm straight do you still feel like that no actually not anymore I've stopped caring and I'm really thankful for that and I feel so much more energized now because of that I had no idea how much energy I was putting into that until I read it, and then I was you like, literally, were saying like walking into rooms and you had two things to worry about. I was like, that is so much stress, and like I don't know how to convey that. Like I didn't even know I was doing it. And okay, the reason why I want to talk about this is because I think that this book can help everybody, regardless if you're gay, whatever. I think everybody has something that they feel is flawed about them, and I think everybody has certain personality traits that they're constantly trying to monitor and they feel that they can show to some people and not show to other people and I think that 
this is all speculation. No, no, so you're fine. Me if I'm wrong. You're fine. But I'm sure part of the reason why you were so dedicated to track was because like you felt like you had to really excel in something. Yep. And 100%. that can be so detrimental. And like for me, I felt like I had to be good at all these different things to make mm. up for this flaw that I had. Right. And so I think that this book is a crash course in learning about your own compensatory habits through the lens of being a gay man, which all the specificities aren't going to apply to everybody, but the general knowledge will. And it's a short book. You'll read it in like three days. I'm a slower reader, but take me a week. It's short, I promise. No, I'll, I actually want to read it. You should as well. Do it, yeah. We can read it. We can read it together. Yeah. It's, it's a tough read, and I encourage you, while you're reading it, to not, like I said, get lost in the details. Like, there's going to be stuff you're not going to relate to. Mm-hmm. Right. Just, um, because it's about gay men, but there is going to be other stuff that you relate to. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy that you read that book and you, like, went to therapy, and now mm-hmm. you feel like... Like, like, I feel a release, the relief for you. you know? mm-hmm. like that yeah. was, like, so stressful for Thank you. you. And, like, yeah. you should have never yeah. had to go through that. Yeah. And, like, you are amazing just the way you are, and you should yeah. not have to act a certain way for anyone. And I won't anymore. Yeah, but definitely at Egan, like, I feel like it was such that typical high school musical, either in or out, or, like, me, I feel like I forged this weird place where I was, like, kind of ambiguously, like, between different groups, but Mm -hmm. that was really curated, and that was, like I said, because I was literally putting so much energy into monitoring myself and, like, okay, when I'm around these people, how do I act, and when I'm around these people, how do I act? Yeah. That is exhausting, especially Mm -hmm. if you don't have the words to literally articulate that. Once you have the words to advocate for yourself and be like, listen, this is what's happening, I'm not comfortable right now, just gotta go for myself, it's not on you, it's just on me. It's a much bigger problem when you don't have that outlet of being like, this is what I'm going through. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever cook with an instant pot, but it's like a pressure cooker. So it has this valve that you turn closed when you want it to get up to high pressure. And then when your food's done, you turn the valve and a bunch of steam comes out. You wait for that steam to get out before you take off the lid and you eat your food. Mm -hmm. Just learning the words is like, turning that valve and letting the steam out. And then the other thing that's helped me is recognizing the behavior when I'm doing it, because I still do it. Body stuff is a big thing, especially during quarantine. I'm working on my relationship with food right now, and that's definitely a compensatory reaction that I have. So yeah. I guess I don't really have any advice for like going past that, but I think that... Well, that's genuine. You don't have to... Totally. Like, yeah. But really if you have any last things that you want to say... Yeah, so I have one more tip that I thought of before I came here, and it was when I was a senior in high school, my mom started packing my lunches instead of, like, having me get a hot lunch, because I would only eat mini corn dogs. (laughs) (laughs) When my mom started packing my lunches, she would write a little note on a post-it note every day. Cute. I love that. And, yeah, it was really cute. Mm -hmm. But I think this is when I was applying for colleges, and I was like, I... I know that a lot of people don't do this. I applied for 14 schools. Like, stupid. I was, I did not need to do that. 
another compensation thing, I think. Like, I was just trying to get into, like, the best place I could possibly get in, compensating, like, I wanted to show everybody that I could do it, that I could get in, like, that I was smart, whatever, like, stupid. That said, I'm, I'm glad I went to NYU. I ended up loving it for really genuine reasons, but yeah. I think definitely when I went, it was partially to just it's a great school. stick it to them. Yeah. yeah. You know, to compensate. One of the notes, that, actually the only note that I literally remember the direct quote was, sometimes when life gets hard, you just need to go the fuck to bed. And she was so right. I was literally living off like four hours of sleep every night in high school. It was horrible. I guess my tips are do research on the terminology to discuss the problems that you feel that you have. Two, recognize once you do have the terminology, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand, but recognize when you're doing those behaviors and try to correct it in whatever you, way you yeah. see fit. Three, go outside because in the best way possible, it helps you realize that you don't really matter that much, right. which can take a whole load of pressure off of your shoulders. Okay. And I don't mean it like you don't matter. I mean, the rest of these people in the world are going to keep existing whether or not you're here, right. which can be really relieving. And that's something I learned from being in New York City. Four, go to bed. <laughs> right. No, actually, though. Like, if you're thinking about a problem at night, if you if you lay down and you start thinking about problems, it's the wrong time to be thinking about No. Problems. Yeah. It's so true. Like, so, give your mind a break. Yeah. Turn it off. Go to sleep. That's what it's for, Mama. I think. Get the eyelids. Pretend you're a caveman in the cave. Like, <laughs> sleeping. Like, I think. Gonna go out pick some berries tomorrow. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love that you brought up the like the compensation thing because I hadn't really like processed it before even and I'm like I think that it's like amazing that you like talked about it and I feel like so many people can relate to that totally. and oh, yeah. whatever you feel like you're compensating for yeah. I feel like that's I feel like everybody a lot of people might be going through that and I think that's yeah. really like a great yeah. a great point yeah it's kind of like that thing that people talk about where you are your own worst critic yes. like when you're looking in the mirror you're like oh my god like i am the like fattest bitch alive whatever <laughs> and like literally everyone's like no you're like shut up that's what it's like trying to compensate for something that's a non-issue so many people myself included you included you included are spending so much energy that we could be redirecting focusing on things that are non-issues mm-hmm. so 100% <sighs> Read the book, I swear to God. I just explained that, and like, going back to the caveman, I explained that like a caveman. The book does such a better job. No, but no. you're, but. you're <laughs> you did a great job, really. Thanks. Like, explaining everything, me. yeah. But, you're right, I am. Oh. Can't love yourself, honey. How you gonna, gonna love, love somebody, somebody else? Almost... Can I get an amen up in here? Amen! amen. I don't know if I like you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs>